0: I've probably been preaching for, you won't believe this, for nearly 50 years. Um, and I've forgotten, as, as have most people, most of the sermons I've ever preached. they are just gone. Uh, though, there was one sermon. I, I just gave it once. I've, I've talked about part of it again and again. And people, I meet people that say to me, Mike, I heard you say something once, I've never forgotten and I know what they're talking about, (laughs) It's the same thing I said, same thing every time. Um, A sermon I gave back probably in 1989, uh, just before we went back to Pakistan. I was was with Sarah, we had two little boys, Joel, who was two and a half, and Nathan was seven months. And uh, some Christian friends had expressed their concern to us about taking little boys to Pakistan. That might be a bit irresponsible as parents. Pakistan is 97% Muslim. Uh, While things back there weren't as bad as today, nevertheless, we heard bombs go off. Uh, My wife's brother, who worked there, was kidnapped in Afghanistan, held hostage for six months. There's dysentery, malaria, hepatitis. uh, And then we put our boys into boarding school when they were six and a half. And uh, on more than one occasion, people said to us, how can you take your sons to a place like that? And I remember I said once in a sermon in my church, my reply was, and I wasn't being pious, I said, how can you leave your children in a city like Sydney? Are you blind to the the dangers of a place like sydney or or melbourne uh, any big city do you really think, do you, now sure they won't get kidnapped probably by the mujahideen they probably won't get malaria what they will get though are far more spiritual attacks i think than we'll get how else to explain as i mentioned last night the almost the mass exodus from the faith of so many kids from christian families it's it's almost it's almost like an epidemic. I think. I mean, so many of my godly Christian friends have seen their kids walk away. Why? Why? Why in Sydney, where it's so safe, have so many walked away? Because it's not that safe in Sydney. It's a dangerous place to bring up kids. I think spiritually. You know, I washed with materialism. I washed with sexual temptation. I washed with greed. Enormous peer pressure upon them. Our kids didn't face that in Pakistan. As Mish kids, all their, all our co-workers were, were godly people. It just, don't be so blind to how hard it is for your kids in a place like this. As I said last night, I pray every I did this morning every Saturday morning for kids of friends of mine who've walked away. It's it's heartbreaking. It breaks their hearts. Um, and you think. These kids have got loving parents who've prayed for them, have taught them. They've seen the kids, have seen the love of Jesus in other people. They've seen prayers answered. I think they still believe. They wouldn't say, oh, I don't believe this Jesus. I think they still believe. They just say, I couldn't care less. I've got a bigger agenda, which is whatever, career, having fun, I believe, but who cares? It's heartbreaking, and I think in the end, it's wicked to have seen love and God's power at work and to want to go to Egypt is heartbreaking and we see that in this passage this morning it's two chapters 30 40 a lot I'll leave out I'm just going to give you a, a brief overview and just pick out some salient points you won't go through every there's just too much there it's a very they're the two key chapters of Numbers and it's, it's, it's a passage which the Bible refers to again and again. The prophets say, remember what you did at Kadesh Barnea. They call us back again and again to remember these events. We saw last night Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says to them, flirting with idolatry, remember what happened here. Hebrews 3, when are thinking of going back to uh, the Jewish faith, look what happened here. So again and again this becomes the place where they take us to to warn us, don't make the same mistake. So these two chapters are integral to understanding numbers to understand the book there, there are two countings in the book two census chapter 1 chapter 26 two countings uh, of all the men over 20 who will go and fight in the land uh, and god's command was in chapter 1 we saw this last night take a census of the whole israelite community by their clans and families all the fighting men in Israel, 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army. Next counting, chapter 26. Virtually word for word, the same thing. Take a census of the whole Israelite community by families, all those 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army of Israel. Same command... Different list of names. Because by chapter 26, it's 40 years later, and those in the first list have died. Why has it taken 40 years to end up in the same place? Why have all the people died? Why repeat the command? Answer, Numbers 13 and 14. These two chapters are central to understanding the book of Numbers. In chapter 13, which we we didn't get to read, the people on the brink of the promised land, and about to go in, and as you may recall, they send out 12 spies into the land to have a look-see. Fast forward 40 days, and they return, and there are two reports. Well, actually... Two identical reports. They both see and say the very same thing, but the two groups, one large, one small, draw very different conclusions. Like the two thieves on the cross, one on the other side of Jesus. They see and hear the same things. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They see and hear the same things. One thief, in mockery, says, Aren't you the Messiah of Israel? Save yourself and us. The other, in faith, says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See the same thing, two different conclusions. There's two girls in the same family, two sisters see and hear over 20 years, 25 years, the same thing. Hear their parents' prayers. Attend the same devotions. See lives changed. See little daily miracles. Same thing. One decides the most important thing in life is fun. She believes Jesus died for her sins, but as I said, she doesn't care. She lives for today. The other sister says no to a non-Christian boy who asks her out, chooses to become a nurse so she can work on the mission field, and has, as a priority Friday night, leading youth group. Two sisters hear, hear and see the same thing, two different responses. So here's numbers. Ten men see what the Lord's promised them in the promised land. And it's a wonderful land, a wonderful land, Uh, a land of prosperity. Summed up in that lovely term, it's flowing with milk and honey. What a great expression. It's flowing with milk. And milk means chocolate, right? It means Cadbury's. It means lint. It means Maltesers. I love Maltesers. Uh, And honey, sweet, luscious. I love honey, tasty honey. And the fruit, check out the grapes, they're as big as watermelons. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them, two of them carried it and a pole between them. So heavy, well, I think this is what's called hyperbole. But the point is, here's Israel, been eating for months quail and manna, and they paint this picture of The grapes and the honey, I can just see them salivating and rubbing their stomach. It looks, it's just, oh, wow, can't wait to get there. That's the good news. But every silver lining has a cloud. There's bad news. The people are enormous. And there's lots of them. And the cities are well fortified. In other words, we've got no hope. It's way beyond us. There may be grapes and figures, but we've been sold, grapes and figs, but we've been sold a lemon. But most down like grasshoppers. We'll be target of practice for their archers. We'll be slaughtered. That's the report of the ten men, the majority. But there are two dissenting voices: Joshua and Caleb. And here's the thing they give the same report as the other 10. Milk and honey, great grapes, wonderful land, many fighting men, huge cities, outnumbered, out-equipped, out-resourced. We're like grasshoppers, they're giants, but these guys have left out the most important factor. Yes, he's, yes we'll, we can do it because we have the Lord. These two men have faith. Comes down to 10 who didn't have faith, 2 who do, 2 trust God's word, 10 don't. God has said in in chapter 13, verse 1, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to you. That's a very good summary, actually, of the Christian life, that verse. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to you. Two statements which sound contradictory. I'm giving you the land, therefore explore it. I'm giving you the land. You are going to heaven. Your salvation is assured. Don't worry, it's a gift of grace. I gave my son, I'll sustain you. It's a gift of grace. All gift, all of grace, all of gift. He doesn't say, Go and check out the land which I might give to you. Check out the land which, if you're strong enough, you can occupy. No, there's no if or but. You'll get the land, it's a promised land. So send in men to do reconnaissance, to check out the size of their armies. Oh, this city's well well fortified or defensive. Do your homework. Check it out. Now, how do the two go together? If it's a gift, why do I need to do reconnaissance? That's the Christian life. Read the Luke chapter 14. Our Lord tells a parable of a wedding banquet. Great parable. And they go out and bring in the blind, the lame, the crippled, bring them all in to sit at the master's table and have a great meal. What grace! Just go and find them, just bring them in. Then, seven verses later, our Lord tells another parable about a king going to war. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? It's a gift, so fight. Salvation is a promise. So we work at our salvation in fear and trembling. All we have is ours. I have complete assurance of salvation. If I die tonight, I'm going to be with Jesus. So I go home today and in fear and trembling, keep myself free from sin and pursue righteousness. Now we come to chapter 14. The people have cast their vote. It's for the ten and against the two. It's for Egypt and against Canaan. It's for fear over faith. Verse 1. Then all the people began to weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Then Joshua and Caleb speak in verse 7 and give, a like any good sermon, a three-point sermon. Verse, verse 7. The land we explored is a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. What God has for us will be wonderful. Now, I wish you could meet my wife, Sarah. She doesn't come with me on these things. Uh, She's heard the Turks before, and for her, once is enough. Uh, But I'd love you to meet her. Uh, She's an artist. Not professional, but she's an artist, a sculptor. She loves to create things. She loves to make things. All the time, she's creating. Uh, And what she... In her dream world, she'd love to buy a warehouse. So if you have know any cheap warehouses in Melbourne, let me know. Uh, just some, so we walk, there's some where we live and we walk past them and Sarah peeks in through the, the dirty windows and have looks out of this, this grubby, kind of ugly, dirty warehouse. And she dreams what it could be. And she remakes it. She just has this dream. It would be amazing if she'd got one. We live in a small apartment in, in, in the city of Melbourne been there about 11 years, and when we first got there, it was a mess. The previous people just ruined it. But Sarah sees an apartment not as what it is, but what one day it could be. I think it's now a lovely apartment. People actually talk about it. If you go to Melbourne, you can do a tour, an official tour of Melbourne. And uh, I, I go to the oldest church in the city and that's part of the tour. And, and a little while ago, a friend of ours, Lydia Tour, and she's uh, Texas said, oh, I'm here by the church, come and say hi. So Sarah came down to meet Carol and, and the tour group, they got, they got talking, and Sarah mentioned our house, our apartment, and she said, oh, would, you like, would you like to see it? So She, she brought the tour group into our apartment. <laughs> she served them tea, they had a great time. <laughs> and the next day, Carol said, they spoke afterwards, and the highlight of the tour was your apartment. How, how good is that? How good is that? She met an Indian lady last year, um, and she asked her into her apartment. And she's from, she was born in Pakistan, my wife. She's a missionary kid. So it's full of like Pakistani Indian stuff. There's you know carpet, Persian carpets and there's pots and pans. It looks kind of Indian, Pakistani. She loved it. And she said, this is the first Aussie home I've been asked into. And she cried. She cried. And not just at, at the first home. It made a feel of her. It's just it so beautiful. My point is... What Sarah's done with a grubby apartment, God will do with a grubby creation. That's our hope. For God to remake this world, which we've spoiled into something beautiful and wonderful forever. That's their first point. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Second point. He'll bring us safely into that land. He'll give it to us. Don't be afraid of the people. They're only helpless prey. Their protection has been taken from them. I get a great great picture. It's taken from them. Their vicious guard dogs have no teeth. Their guns fire blanks. Their tanks have broken down. Of the Russian army in Ukraine, right? It doesn't a bit like that. In other words, Canaan is no match for God and Israel. So point three: don't rebel against the Lord. Stop complaining. Stop wanting to go back. It's, It's not too late. This is your last chance, Israel. Choose life or death. God or Pharaoh. Freedom or slavery. And they cast their vote. And they read in verse ten. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them, then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Now before we look at Moses' response and God's response, just remember this is we face the same challenge and temptation. Years ago I read an article in the The Good Weekend of the Sydney Morning Herald, written by a, I think, 40-year-old, I think, Christian woman called Catherine von Ruland. It was called, I Don't Want to Die a Virgin. And uh, she began by quoting a line from a song song by Sting where he sings about um, making love in the field under the warm sun. And she said, I'd love to make love with a man in a field or anywhere under any kind of sun. But I can't. I'm single. There aren't many Christian men or many Christian men who want to make love to me anywhere. And she dreams of that. And she said, I'm sick of dreaming. She went to a Christian counselor who told her of a woman who in her 40s had a first full-blown affair, and it was liberating. Catherine ends with these words, for me, it's time to look elsewhere. I'm going back to Egypt. It's a, a tragic story, not an uncommon one, a tragic story. So it's tough. It's a struggle. And Egypt, you forget how bad it was, now looks promising. And when you feel that way, go back and read Numbers. Chapter 14, 7 to 8. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Well, we heard the response. They choose to go back to Egypt. That's what they want. God planned to wipe them out and to start again like in the days of Noah. To start with a clean slate. Moses says, Lord, don't do that for your sake, for the sake of your glory. The nation will say, what a feeble God this God is. We thought when he passed through the Red Sea, he was a great God. He he destroyed the Egyptian army. No, he's he's just another tribal deity. He can't protect his people. You lose all your fame and glory for your sake. Don't do this. Don't wipe them out and start again. So God relents. Except for those who didn't obey me, I will spare the people, but I'll give them what they asked for. I'll give them what they asked for. Be careful what you ask for. Verse 2. Would that we had died in this wilderness. Verse 29, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. What do they ask for? Verse 3 They didn't want to enter the land. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Answer, verse 30. Not one shall enter the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. What do they ask for? Verse uh, verse 3 again. That their children will be protected. Our little ones will not become prey. Verse 31. But the little ones which you said would become a prey are bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. Be careful what we ask God for. Oscar Wilde once said, When the God wished to punish us, They answer our prayers. Lord, give me fame. All right. You'll have fame. And never know a day of privacy after that. Oh, Lord, give me Harry. He's such a hunk. Okay. You can have Harry. And be married to a philanderer. Oh, Lord, give me wealth. Okay, I'll give you wealth. And every friend will be a fair-weather friend who you can't trust. Be careful what we pray for. But God remains committed to them. They're spared, and their children enter the land. That's In a nutshell, that's the story. You can say a lot from this story, but I want to focus on one thing, and that's just persevering. Uh, my kids went to, uh, lived in Sydney, went to North Newtown Public School. Uh, at the time, Nate was what, 10, Pippa 8. No, no, Nate, Nate 12, Pippa 10, Lauren 6. It was the end of year speech day, and we went along uh, with our kids, and a teacher gave a speech, which I have never, ever forgotten. She said to the kids, Kids, I want you to um, imagine you're on a train journey. And the train is going... Um, past these wonderful, these beautiful green fields. You see the cows grazing, the willows blowing in the breeze. It's just, it's, it's green, it's lush, it's beautiful. Then the train leaves the field and goes into these majestic mountains. You see the snow-capped peaks, the skiers skiing down the slopes. It's just, it's kind of awe-inspiring. Then the train leaves these snow-capped peaks and begins to uh, go beside this, this beautiful river, this kind of clear blue water. You can see the people rowing in their barges. You see the swimmers, the, the water skiers. The whole thing is so spectacular. You know, green fields, snow-capped peaks, crystal blue water. But all the while, you can't wait to get to your destination. You can't wait to get to the place you're going, to your journey's end. All the while, you think just about that, the journey's end, all the while. And she said, boys and girls, I want to say this morning that there is no station. There is no journeys in. There's no special place you're going to. There's just the journey. You leave year six and can't wait to get to high school, a watershed in your life. Then you can't wait to finish high school and go to university or get a job. Then you can't wait to get, to, to get married, have kids and buy a house. Then you can't wait to retire all the time, waiting long and hoping for the station, for what's next, for the journeys in. For, there is no journeys in, there's just the moment, just the day. She said people live with regrets from the past and fears for the future. When there is no future, there's just the now, she said. She didn't say, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. That's that's her philosophy. Just enjoy the moment, which is so rich and wonderful. She said, here's her words, slip off your shoes, slurp an ice cream and smile more. I found that so helpful for my life. (laughs) Walk barefoot, buy an ice cream and smile more. I find that tragic and frankly stupid. I mean, doesn't she talk to people? Does she have no friends? Is that, is that life? Clear blue waters, snow-capped peaks and green fields? Don't, don't you talk to people? Life is tough for most people. I used to be the principal of a Bible college in Melbourne. We had an open day one time, and a woman came with her daughter. The daughter came to check out the school, the college, and she came with her to keep her company. We got talking about, about parents. And I said, both my parents are in heaven. She said, oh, do you believe in heaven? (laughs) I'm a a Bible school principal. (laughs) I'm paid to believe in heaven. I, I I I didn't say that. I said, yes, I do. I said this. I think most people believe in heaven. Because life down here is so tough, they think there must be something better than this. And in a flash, she said, you're right, life is hell. Now, then she closed the window. She realized what she'd done. It came out later. Her husband had been a pastor and had an affair. Life is hell. We saw last night, life is the wilderness. Life isn't, for most people, clear blue water, snow-capped peaks and green fields. This depression and sorrow, and misery. And more than that, she told my kids, there's no future. There's no land of milk and honey. There's no eternity with Christ. No place without mourning or crying or pain. She told my kids that lie. And God has promised to us a good, rich, eternal land. No death, or sickness, or sin, or COVID, or flu, or Parkinson's, or dementia, no lung disease, no heart disease, no bulimia or obesity, no mental or physical handicaps, no anger or lust, or pride, or church conflicts, or rudeness, or gossiping, or unkindness, no abuse, no theft, no corruption, no deceit, no idolatry, no heresy, no boredom, no exhaustion. Yes, there are giants in the land, and they seem enormous their cities seem impregnable. It's getting harder here to be a Christian. The abuse is getting louder. We had in my city last year, a good man became a CEO of a football club for 24 hours and was called by our premier a hateful bigot for something he never said. That's the land we're about the land we live in. It's getting hard. But we have the promise. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Keep fighting. He's conquering sin and death and will bring us home to paradise. Beloved, uh, Hands tends to recycle his preachers here. You've had Powellie a few times, my buddy Ian Powell. Graham Coo is back. Who knows if he's still alive? Mike brother might get a gig in three or four years' time. Who knows? If he does, I want to see in the next counting the same people in the same pews still loving Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are, as you saw last night, in a sense, in the wilderness, that place between prison and paradise. And we do forget so often what the prison was like, and Egypt often beckons us. Please help us not to heed that that lie, that false call. Keep our eyes fixed not on what was past, but the great hope for the future of a heavenly banquet with you and your son, of seeing him face to face, of enjoying our, our new bodies, the new creation, the land of true milk and honey. So keep us, we pray, facing that day, persevering faithfully that we may hear the words we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.